Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum and a proud member of the Drum Click Podcast Network. Okay, so this week's guest is Adam Betts. My brain does not move as fast as Adam's hands can drum, which might not mean a lot these days, but Adam is a beast of a player with a list of collaborators including Square Pusher, Three Trapped Tigers, Heritage Orchestra, Goldie, Jarvis Cocker, Pete Tong, in addition to his solo project titled Colossal Squid, which has new music coming out this year. Adam's energy does not stop at the kit, and this conversation about his top five influences is filled with tons of insight from one of today's most creative drummers. Please enjoy my conversation with Adam Betts. So Mark, Mark Giuliano, a few weeks ago on his episode, which everyone should check out, um, gave you quite the shout out. And so mm. I knew I immediately had to ha- you know, have you on. And I asked him if he would ever, <laughs> if, if he would ever sub for you, if you ever, you know, were in the need. And he said that he didn't feel like he could do it, but that he would be a, like the beer collector for you guys. <laughs> so my question is, would you hire Mark Giuliano and how much do you think he's worth? Um, to collect beer, uh, I don't know. He's, he's not got massive hands, has he? Um, he's good. He's good value. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd take it. I'd pay for Mark. I'd pay All for right. Mark to take, uh, no, it'd be, I mean, it would just be a joy to have him on the road. It's, um, we, I, I opened for beat music in London with my solo stuff and, uh, just hanging out with those guys was really lush for an evening. And then it was like, it would be really nice to do a bit of a jaunt, you know, um, with those guys. And uh, sure. do, yeah, so yeah, I know I'd happily have Mark on tour with me, you know, uh, collecting beers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, speaking of of your solo stuff, I mean, I we will hop into that in a second. But is performing on stage alone kind of an obligatory byproduct of writing stuff on your on your own? Or do you or do you actually enjoy being the only one on stage? Obviously, besides Mark holding a beer behind you. <laughs> I um that's a yeah tricky one I it, it's probably a product of writing alone mm-hmm. um and the the whole thing was to try and see if you could make something um meaningful that is uh yeah just like I don't know I, I enjoyed writing electronic music mm-hmm. and I enjoyed programming um and all that lot but my drum programming never had the energy that my drumming had. Um, you know, I, and, and there are people whose drumming programming has way more energy than mine, and those people are geniuses, you know. And um, I, uh, mine was always like, well, I'm a drummer. What instrument do I like to play? The drums. Okay, cool. So with, for my solo stuff, I'm going to be playing the drums. And then um, it kind of evolved to be like I, I didn't want to be doing drum karaoke uh you know i didn't want the track playing along and i'm just playing the drum part so i tried to have a kind of collaborative process with the technology to to kind of feel like there was a reason 
that it was my drums triggering the electronics, you know? So there'll be bits in the performance that will never happen like that ever again. So you've always got an element of improvisation because otherwise you may as well just be doing a kind of more program set. So there, there had to be a kind of reason for it. So that's why for that stuff, it's just me on stage. But no, I, lo I mean, obviously I love playing in bands. I love having my friends on stage. I love playing with other musicians. You know, it's the best thing. Um, uh, but for the solo stuff, I yeah, I do love I I love I I love how silly it is to be the only person on stage and 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 it still be fun and it still be engaging you know and and it's you know it's got it maybe there's a, an air of the the kind of curiosity show about it that it's like wow it's just one person but it, it I think it's I think it has a reason for that it doesn't feel like it's just me trying to spin as many plates as possible a lot of people might disagree with that they might say it looks a bit it looks a bit circus but I think it, it, it has a reason what was your first piece of electronic gear and was that a necessity or did you buy it because you wanted to explore it more my first bit of gear was a uh, delay pedal, like a guitar delay pedal, boss uh, delay pedal and one microphone and pointed it at the drum kit. And I think I, I do have a, quite a lot. I have more and more drummers kind of getting in touch saying, what gear should I buy for a kind of prepared project or a kind of drum electronics project? And I think what you know whatever gear you buy if you learn it inside out it'll be better than buying a new bit of gear that you don't quite know you know Absolutely. so so buy the buy the kind of buy the thing or use the thing you know um because you know spending a few grand on a laptop and ableton and controllers and not really knowing how they work is going to be way more rubbish than playing with a delay pedal that you know really really well and um so my that was that was my first bit and it was I, so there's a guy that very, very like almost, uh, it, it feels absurd to not have him on the list, and he, he was on the list at the beginning of the things that I, I and and then and then other things took it, and uh, but it's a, a guy called uh, Thomas Stronen who is a Norwegian drummer um, who plays with a lot of incredible. So that probably his biggest. Um, his biggest band might be Hum Crush. Uh, it's a improvisation duo with a, a genius keyboard player from Norway called Starle Storlokken. And I, I, so I, so I came to uni in London, and um, I was studying jazz, but I'd been a metler and a and a and a electronic, you know, kind of a rave kid. And I got to London, and jazz, 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 jazz was still like. I just wanted to play drums for four years, you know, and mm -hmm. it was either classical or jazz at that time. There wasn't like really awesome pop degrees or, or experimental music degrees. It was a jazz degree or a classical degree. And so I did the jazz degree and hey, it was amazing. I, I met some of the best players that are still a big, a big part of my life. But I was never like a, a kind of um, straight ahead jazz player. Um, but uh these guys introduced me to these label this label called rune gramophone in in norway and though the norwegians just seem to have this balance of improvisation folk electronic and jazz that sounded so contemporary and so cutting edge and just thrilled me and it excited me and then one day thomas stronen came in with a couple of other guys um ian ballamy was an amazing london saxophonist and it was his band food and Arve henriksen on trumpet and that and they played 
and Stronan blew my mind. And he had a couple of microphones on the kit, an SP404, like, effects unit, the... Uh, which I have sat right in front of me here, the Roland uh, SP404. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, the, and, and, he, and he was, you know, uh, and, and some ring mods and stuff like this, and, and then loads of little splashes and cowbells, and, and, and it was like suddenly the sound of square pusher was happening in front of me, and it blew my mind. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, that, that, so, you know, it's amazing I'm into honorable mentions already, but he, <laughs> he was the, yeah, like, jeez, man, no, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, it was incredible. Like he, yeah. So that, that changed the game for me. And so I, I grabbed a delay pedal and mucked about with that. That got a little bit monotonous. So I grabbed a, an SP 404 and it was great. And, and, and then slowly, you know, built it from there. And, um, you know, it, we used it a lot in my band three trap tigers um mm -hmm. and it 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 kind of became a sound i loved and then as i developed it more into i dipped a toe into ableton and started trying to recreate that stuff live with ableton and it, it yeah it built from there really and, and became a solo project um, that's awesome well it sounds mm. fucking good man so <laughs> Thank um, you, man. So Thanks. instead of just, I mean, lately I've been avoiding just, you know, asking the question, hey, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, because I think people, if they want to, they, there's tons of information out there on you. So I just want to actually play some songs in your career. And mm -hmm. it's funny, even with speaking of Mark on his episode, I actually played a song that was credited to him on one website, but he wasn't actually on it. And so I felt like a <laughs> complete ass. But um, I hope these songs are your. I'm, I'm pretty confident they're you. But I'm just going to play a few songs. Maybe tell me a little bit of a backstory with them and yeah, where, cool. it, where it takes you. And then we'll just hop into your your five. Yeah, great. hilarious i haven't heard that for a while um where did you even find it that's brilliant that's great <sighs> hey man i've just been you know i like to stock all my guests um <laughs> so mm. that was yeah so that is a string of knots uh mm. by optimus club from the album ripped and psyched how to be a winner yeah and uh yeah man what's uh how'd you meet those guys and how'd that come about oh uh, it was beautiful um so i i went to i moved to london to go to uni 2002 and um I there were kind of like two places where I, I had groups of friends and obviously one was my uni and then I had friends from Bournemouth uh, that had moved up to go to uni at Westminster Uni and that was uh, quite a cool kind of arty uh, music course where loads of people were lo doing loads of different stuff and it was really fun and so we had a good connection with the guys over there um, and I put together a rock well I joined a rock band with a couple of mates in in the uni I was in in the so I was at the Royal Academy of Music on the jazz course but we put together a rock band really quickly and then I did a gig with a bunch of the guys from Westminster who were called Optimist Club and they were they played and I watched their band and I was like man this is great and the drummer spooned a fill and Bryn, the singer, turned around and was like, man, you're going to fucking pay for that. And then at the end of the tune, he jumped off the bass drum and drop kicked the drummer off the, off the kit. Jesus. And I was like, 
I want to join this band. <laughs> um, and we, so yeah, we had a chat. And then, and then like a few weeks later, uh, the guitarist, Gion, who'd become a mate through mutual friends, got in touch and was like, man, you know, would you be up for it? Our drummer is, he's not, he's not really able to commit to it the way we want. Um, would you be up for it? And I was like, oh God, yeah, yeah, I really would. And Bryn and Beach and Gion, so, you know, I mean, uh, before I even get into my choices, like, you know, the, the, they opened my ears to, you know, so I'm 20 and I, I you know, the, the, there's no two ways about it. I was a complete metler. You know, I got up there like Pantera was still, I mean, hey, I love Vinnie Paul and sure. think he's, you know, one of the greatest drummers ever. Igor Cavalera, Chris Contas, uh, great, uh, Gene Hoglan, all that stuff, you know, that was massive for me as a teenager. And then you just get out of that and get to London and these guys are like, yeah, they were just a bit more like art school and were into this more alt-punk stuff that I'd I'd not really experienced that much before. You know, I was in a small town in Dorset and it just hadn't percolated down there really. Um, so they got me into X-Models, Oxes, Lightning Bolt, Hella... Um, I, I guess the artier stuff I'd listen to in Bournemouth would be like Mars Volta and stuff, you know, which is mm -hmm. which has got some, you know, it's it's super creative music, but it's not kind of full weirdo stuff and and liars yeah. and all this stuff. Uh, Bryn just gave me these CDs of all these bands, and it was just like they, there's so much expression here, and we just started writing together, um, and it was a beautiful band. You'd you just jam for hours and then Bryn and Beach would take away the tapes from the jam and just chop bits and come back and be like, that's the riff. And they chopped it all wrong because they were using tapes, but that was the joy. You know, so you have all these bits that it's like, well, how many beats is that? No, no, don't worry about that. It, that's the riff. And and you're like, cool. Okay, so this, you know, it, it, and being a bit of a kind of more slightly muso-y nerd, I'd work out, okay, that's got a 316 at the end or something. You know, there's, there's a little... Yeah on there but um yeah it was just beautiful and um and Bryn's vocals were really exciting kind of David Byrne uh, I felt it was quite beef heart as well um mm. and but like more aggressive and kind of art punk I mean you know I guess X models were a big one for us and liars were big for us and it so yeah I it was it was such a fun band I mean the gigs were visceral they were really sweaty we really went for it and it was it was such fun it was such fun but it maybe i feel like it was a little before that that's got it's quite a healthy scene for that stuff right now in the uk like we have festivals of math rock and and quite weirdo stuff and and i feel like optimist club were just a little ahead of the curve and we we never really found the the movement and then i we were sat there trying to work out when we were next going to rehearse and uh, and it was just getting busy and and no one could do for the next few weeks. And it was like, God, if anyone gets busier, this band's just going to fold. And literally my phone rang and I was offered the James Taylor Quartet gig um, to see if you were, you know. And I was like, guys, I've just been offered this gig. That's... And so the band kind of just folded and it was such a shame because it was, it was beautiful and amazing. But... Um, yeah, everyone's everyone's lives just moved in different as you do when you're 24 or whatever. You sure, know, it happens. Yeah. It happens. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm super proud of that band. I, I think that music's some of my, you know, I, yeah, I would easily, 
you know, as, as I have to have my CDCV over at the pearly gates, that will definitely be on it. it it's, it's amazing stuff. Are you going to commit on Big Fat Five to do a, a reunion show with this band or what? <laughs> <laughs> so we almost talked about it like last year or something, two years ago. There was a, there was a potential re-release of that album. It's gone a bit quiet. I, but you know, mm. so so that's kind of no news, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to do it. Um, they, you know, we don't. Uh, yeah, we don't. It's not like we've really stayed in touch that much. Um, so yeah, it's. But they, you know, we we did catch up a couple of years ago, and it was great. You know, a, a good kind of, uh, good to yeah, just see what everyone was up to, and we're you know, everyone's just. Uh, Everyone's just in slightly bigger trousers now because <laughs> we're all getting older. And uh, but it was still really sweet. <laughs> bigger it was trousers. Great. Yeah. <laughs> wish I could play longer but for future copyright mm. reasons i gotta stop it <laughs> um so yeah that was the live version of the song transmission by joy division reworked performed mm. by uh heritage orchestra and yeah. that's you on drums man that's a i i, I want to get steven on this show so bad but he's so mm. hard to get a hold of you know he's not necessarily the most you know online yeah. guy right now which is cool <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah man i mean that was funny. That was that was a bit, when it started. I was like, "Whoa, I don't think this is me." And then I, I realized what it was. I saw it in your face. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. good, good. <laughs> I had um, a no shit moment. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, fuck. That was a great project. It it was. Um, I would say yeah. So Heritage Orchestra. We were all at uni together, and Jules Buckley, um, conductor, who's worked, you know, working now with like tons of orchestras and does loads of stuff with jacob collier loads of stuff with oh wow snarky puppy loads of stuff he's just doing a gig with uh louis cole lewis cole um you know just like loads of guys it, it, it's really really awesome um so he started it with a guy chris wheeler who you know the two of them are still running the heritage orchestra now and we just started doing it was basically to do uh, a gig of like um isaac hayes black exploitation kind of film mm. music you know we wanted to do a funk gig that had like 40 people on stage and you could do proper epic funk and um and it yeah he um they started that and then you know there were some cool projects to like rework music and um yeah that one was with a, a great electronic guy called scanner who um whose name came from the name of the radio that police would use rather than the kind of flatbed scanner that you use to scan your driving license when you need to send oh, someone. I think sure. he, he named himself before the flatbed scanner came out, and that, it just it was quite a funny thing. It's but like yeah, Michael he, Bolton from uh, Office Space. <laughs> just yeah. change your name to Mike. No, he sucks. Yeah, and he... Um, 
anyway, yeah, so we re- he reworked the tunes in really fun ways, and we kind of met up and, and went through it, and it had, it, I thought, you know, it was just super fun to do, like, some of the weirder reworking. So, obviously, you know, there are key bits, and one of the best bits about Joy Division is, like, that the hooks come from everywhere. You know, you, you have drum hooks for the ages, you have bass mm. hooks for the ages, you have, obviously, vocal hooks and guitar hooks, but, you know, I think, like, that the rhythm section playing is is not... It's not like slick and it's not kind of pro, but it's genius. And it, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of, I, I see it almost as that thing that the UK does kind of especially well. And, and Joy Division are an amazing example of it. It's like full of character, full of vibe. You feel like you're in rainy Manchester, but it's, but it, it, yeah, I, I, I love it so much. Um, and yeah, so to get to play all those beats and then rework those tunes with a lot of electronics in it and stuff like that and kind of taking a, a lead from like Aphex's ambient works and stuff like that. It was it was a great project. It really was um, quite a curious one because you're not you haven't really got like a singer as the center. You know, it's it's like more just a musical, and sometimes we'd have the vocal samples, or sometimes you'd have something. But it was just like a weird kind of evening of like here the visuals are going and the music's playing. Yeah, it was it was it was really cool. It was really exciting, um, and we had great visuals from a guy called Matt Watkins, who's a very beautiful man who did like 3D. It's the first time I've worked with like 3D projections and stuff like that. He'd worked with the gorillas on their visuals before and oh, wow. he, he was he was really inspiring. He was amazing on that. Um so yeah, we got to do a lot of cool fun trips with that band uh with Heritage. It now now it does it does a lot. It does the Pete Tong Ibiza Classics quite a lot and uh that's probably the busiest gig we do with it where we're still kind of doing it every year. But we've done some amazing stuff with that. The Obviously, Goldie playing Timeless is is one of the experiences I'll never forget and probably was a bit of a direction change as a drummer, I think, you know, kind of changed my life and, and sent me down a new road that's been thrilling. Um, but yeah, so fantastic project to be involved in and the joy division that's really nice to hear the joy division one that's really cool yeah well and specifically with steven you you kind of alluded to it like his the rhythm section of joy division obviously they were so young but they kind of have this you almost feel like it's going to fall apart at any moment because there's a little bit of that rigidity and Mm. and youth in their playing but it never does and um i think like you know uh like when you hear stuff like interpol and stuff like that you just hear the joy division influence all the way through it and i think you know i the art form of using real simple building blocks to create a drum beat that when you hear when someone sings you that drum beat you're like oh yeah it's, it's transmission or sure. something like that, you know, or the or, yeah atmosphere or something like that. Like that, it's amazing. It's really cool. It's it's really. It, I guess it almost comes from the Beatles again, you know, or something like oh, that. Sure. Like you know, Ringo. You, every time you just sing the drum beat, it's like, oh yeah, cool. That's that's that. It's yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's wicked. Hey y'all, I wanted to. <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. 
And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right, so let's move. I'll stop being selfish. We'll move into your top five. I mean, are they in any particular order, or is it just kind of arbitrarily? Here's the they're, five. Yeah, they're arbitrarily order. I, yeah, I kind of thought a little bit about it, but actually, it it, it it doesn't really make any difference. I think so. Yeah, you you kick off with whichever one you. Uh... Sweet. All right. Well, we'll just go to number one. So that's Lightning Bolt by Thirteen Monsters from the album Ride the Skies from 1999, and that's Brian Chippendale on drums. probably broke a sweat there yeah 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 yeah. that's amazing (laughs) um so i picked this one um so as i said with the optimist club stuff i got to london and i was uh i you know i i had a fear factory t-shirt on you know it was uh, well (laughs) maybe not the t-shirt but i definitely was like a mattler and it's what you're exposed to just changes the way you hear music and there were lots of things I heard at that time that changed the way I heard music, and Brian probably sums it up the best. Brian Chippendale sums it up. His drumming just rewrote what heavy drumming was for me in a, just such a beautifully... So there's a, there's that great quote from... Um, there's there's quite a fun documentary about Napalm Death. Well, actually about grindcore in general, but Napalm Death uh, come up a lot at the beginning. It's called Slave to the Grind. It's brilliant. It's on YouTube. And there was just a cool quote in it where they were like, they were like, well, Napalm Death were a punk band, really, because metal, like, punk was about saying something, metal was about playing your instrument better. And uh, and, and it's, that's a pretty, it's a bit of a diss, because there are a bunch of punks saying, well, we were saying something, and metal just yeah. wanted to play there. So, but it rang kind of true for me, that, like, you know, I, I, it, it, I'd been, like, so into metal and all this but this just sounded so alive and so 
and the the flaws in yeah, they're not flaws. In the same way that Tony Williams doesn't have flaws in his playing, he has so much humanity in his playing. Elvin has so much humanity in his playing. You know, you you could say, oh, that that maybe rushed a tiny bit there or pulled, but it's like that's not a mistake. That's that's there. You know, the, the and and I think Brian Chippendale's drumming was just like. Screw your perfection. Screw like um, clean recording sounds. Cl- screw your production. This is about just how alive can you make this? And it and it it hit me like a like a, a freight train and just made me rethink entirely what I wanted my drumming to do. You know, I, I and 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 his vocabulary is amazing. It it's totally. You know, it's totally unique. It's totally individual, and uh, and you know there is backbeats in it, but he's all so often got a more interesting take on it than just playing the backbeat to make you rock, um, and and it it just totally thrilled me. And and you know, I, I mean, straight away in honourable mentions, it could easily have been Zach Hill. You know, it totally mm. could have been Zach Hill. And I only go with Brian Chippendale just because I think as a band, Lightning Bolt excited me more than Hella. Like, I, and, and Biblical Violence by Hella is still one of the best things ever recorded. Uh, Death Grips is still some of the best stuff ever. It could have also been Deerhoof. You know, it... it, yes. it, it and um, Greg Saunier's drumming, again, was just like, ah, the, the, all these kind of motherfuckers that were like artsy and rocking and it, it it just and it all felt a bit like tony williams it felt like late tony williams but 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 the music sounded like music that i knew what it meant and oh my god yeah so so yeah just 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 awesome you know just complete game changer and and yeah you know uh like full of life and 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 imperfection and humanity and and joy it was it was amazing and uh yeah two the the one of the gigs of theirs in london is still probably my favorite gig one of my favorite gigs ever you know it was just just a kind of visionary moment have you gotten to meet brian uh so i mm, i spoke with him after a gig you never you know that's always going to be quite a weird thing cuz he was just like Gamble. he just worked yeah he's worked harder than any human i'd ever seen sure. and he was just lo- like th- so far through the looking glass that <laughs> it was you know I, I i probably just made noise um and then i i had a very brief interaction with him um through instagram a little while ago where i posted a vid of me playing um a square pusher track and i i did want to say that like my my chance i mean we can talk more about the square pusher thing in a bit but um it was my chance to Square Pusher loves Lightning Bolt. He adores it. And he we we just agreed that like the way to go at this was how would Brian Chippendale play this stuff. So I posted a quick bit of me playing a Square Pusher tune and and did say, you know, my dream was to kind of see how would Brian Chippendale play this stuff. And Brian responded and we had it, you know, I've kind of had a bit of a fanboy gush for a couple of comments and then that was it. So yeah, I've never actually met him kind of face to face, but I think I've managed to at least embarrass myself somewhat. So that that's that's a box ticked. <laughs> yeah. Always got to make a flurry. I mean, I still, like I said, I'll, I'll talk to some drummers on here and I'll like get offline and I'm like, oh God, Ben, what the <laughs> hell? Why the hell did you say that? Um, well, let's actually just move on to Square Pusher. So, cool. um, 
Let's see. Uh, a journey to uh, Reedham. 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 Yeah, I knew I was going to butcher that. <laughs> so whatever <laughs> one I chose is going to be that. So a journey to Reedham uh, mm. by Square Pusher off Big Loda, and it's from 1997. And again, I just arbitrarily, not arbitrarily, but I chose minute 45 to kind right. of. It's kind Actually, of actually maybe the, go maybe go at the top like that drum intro from the first intro. So maybe like 35 seconds in or 30 seconds in. Go okay. from there, and and because that just the way that drum intro is is some of the best drum programming. Um, sure, sure, yeah. Ever, I think. So cool, dude. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's uh, is that him? Mark alluded to that sometimes he plays drums on the records and then chops it up. Is that him or is that a sample? No, that is. Um, ooh, I don't think that's Soul Pride. It might be Soul Pride. Beep Street, which is one of the other tunes I was going to do, that's definitely Soul Pride. And I think okay. at that time he was, it was, it would definitely be some kind of stubble filled break. Sure. Um, yeah, he, he, he was just, his playing um, of drums came more on some slightly later albums. And, you know, he started chopping up his own drums um, on a few albums later. But by this time he was, he was just like doing what other jungle producers had done, but then going nuts with it and, yeah. and taking it to the kind of next level um but i think it's so obviously you know um full disclosure getting to play that tune with him uh was was a a, a lifelong dream and uh it's we you know we it kind of came up it was not one of the first tunes in the set but pretty quickly it was like by the way we're going to do read them it was like bloody hell and he was like um the drums are the melody at the beginning. And I was like, yeah, I know. Uh, and so getting that, like getting that intro down kind of as close to note for note as you can was uh, really important. Um, but he's got such a way that it's like, it's l almost playable. You know, it, it's, it's, I mean, obviously it's coming from drum breaks, um, but he's just got such a killer ear for melody with it. Like it, it, it doesn't repeat ever <laughs> like phrases will repeat and develop but it, it it but it's always melodic and and it just i i don't know it takes a long time to kind of learn it but again it feels like learning a just an insane jazz solo you know it, it's it's uh stunning improvisation um done slowly in a bedroom over the course of several weeks as he just programs it on his sampler and it, it yeah it it i and and then you know so obviously this is in my top five because getting to play it with him you know um yeah. was was so kind of amazing um from all sorts of ways uh but you know i i i kind of 
joined that band and so many of those tunes were so burnt into my memory that actually the rehearsal process was more just trying to get my hands to do it than as much of a learn you know it was it was and it, it was it was the hard a hell of a hard learn um and the first few gigs, you were like, God, I think we, I can't tour this. this the, you know, my tendons are going to be a disaster. And then and then suddenly you're doing three weeks on the trot with it and your hands are just like, yeah, let's have some more of this. And it, it, yeah, so it it's amazing what the body can do. And uh, yeah, it's just beautiful to kind of get to sit down with him and, and work on his drum programming and, and see where he how he wanted it to sound. Yeah, I was I was going to ask it's it's kind of a subsidiary question of um, Ian Masiak who on Instagram is Ian hits drums mm. sent, sent over a question and it says um, I'm curious and you kind of you did kind of talk about this but I'm curious how Adam goes about learning the parts of Square Pusher for the live show and uh, if there's a compromise on what he's able to do versus what's happening on the song so does Tom give you leeway to be like hey just as long as you get 80% of it down I want you to have a little bit of fun back there Oh, absolutely. So there's, um, so that, so journey to read them. You, the bit you have to get down is, you know, doot, get, doot, doot, you know, that whole intro learning, yeah. note for mm -hmm. note, get it down. Mm -hmm. That took, that took a while, you know, and I was on tour with another band and I just, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of those stories that say, yeah, man, I was just up at six in the morning and I was shedding for three hours and then I'd go and rehearse in another band and then I'd shed for another five hours. You know, it, it gets a little macho. But I did have to do that for that. <laughs> I did have to do that for that gig. I was working with another band, so I was in the studio at kind of six, would get a couple of hours done, seven, you know, get three hours done. Then the band would turn up around kind of nine, ten, um, and then I'd do kind of bit with them and then do it all evening. And then on the tour, I'd just have a practice kit over the other side in the arenas, just shedding the next four bars of the intro and then go and play this kind of punk gig and then come back and just be playing <laughs> journey to read them again so that you know that was a slow process and then once you get into it there are like key moments um there's the bit with the the kind of dotted crotchet close crash yeah. those bits it's like well that happens 24 bars into the kind of form um then there's the offbeat right that happens on the kind of fifth time round of the form and then the the quavers on the crash that happens there and there are these moments where it meets up with the other instruments so you know the form and then around that it's like then there's your space to do the things that might not be. And I, I, the more and more we played it, I'd find bits that, you know, you'd play it and you'd be like, oh, actually, that's something that he programmed, but in a different bit of the song, but it's a lovely bit of language and I'll drop it in. So, you know, it, it became, yeah, there was a lot of improvisation within it for me, especially on tunes like that, Square Pusher theme similar or like Cooper's World. Like you, you got to, you know, he would be like, these are the non-negotiables and then these are the negotiable bits and just have your fun within that. And so it becomes, you know, it becomes a language um, like bop or like anything like that. You know, you, you, you have these phrases that, you know, sit within it and you can place those somewhere and somewhere they'll sound awesome and somewhere they'll sound rubbish. And you just you just try it. And, and then slowly it kind of comes together. I mean, it's, it's the same way we all learn rock tunes. We all learn jazz tunes, you know, but 
well, probably more jazz, you know, but uh, maybe fusion. Let's say weather report. Let's meet in the middle. You know, it's it's like weather report. You know, it's like the uh, heavily written, heavily improvised, and you don't quite know where one starts and the other stops. So it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's that kind of thing. But yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, that's a definitely a sink or swim kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and so, if people don't know, uh, you don't tour as Square Pusher; you tour as Showba Leader One. Yeah, we haven't done anything for a little while. Um, I, you know, I'd love to do more with it, um, but obviously, Tom. Uh, has like you know tons of projects on the go and there's all sorts coming out so we'll see we'll see you know it would be amazing um we haven't you know we haven't done anything for a a year or so and it would be fun to do some stuff but uh we'll see what happens you know it's music it like you you do something for a few years and it's beautiful and then you move on to the next chapter and it's it's just one of those things so yeah we'll, we'll see if anything happens again um you know, it'd be nice to have a few months warm up before it. But yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> well, you have to make make sure you know Mark Juliana has some employment opportunities. Um, mm, yeah, so you got to look out for him too. All right, so number three, and it's going to be "Every Day" by AFX. Um, and is that how you, how you pronounce it? I know it's kind of the yes. alias of AFX Twin. Okay, so yeah. AFX, and it's from the album Hangable Auto Bulb, which, from my research, I'm not familiar with it that much, but it was two EPs put out in 95 and then it was re-released in the mid 2000s as one unit um but yeah i'll just play it um i think from the beginning yeah anyways good Preposterous that to put together a five-song playlist that had Square Pusher <laughs> and Aphex Twin on it. It was like, oh come on! It's like having it's like having Metallica and Megadeth. It, it's uh, um, it's yeah. Uh, he you know he uh, he's still one of the geniuses of, of of modern music. But I think like the early '90s, late '90s. Uh, British warp scene was huge for me and um, you know that was the kind of electronic music I was into alongside the metal before I got to London and that's kind of the stuff that's stayed with me so strongly Um, and this one especially has that kind of propulsiveness of something that could feel like drum and bass but the Mm. programming is is not again no backbeat 
there's the sense of a backbeat, but there's just this kind of percussive, it sounds more, um, it doesn't sound like a drum kit. It's, uh, I, I don't know, just this kind of rolling um, percussion feel that, that yeah, it, 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 it really excited me. And so when we, you know, with Three Trap Tigers, when we were writing with Three Trap Tigers, the, the thing that we all agreed on was, you know, Tom doesn't really like metal, um, but we, so the heavy music we all agreed on was Aphex, Squarepusher, Orteca, Boards of Canada. And that, that kind of Orteca, Aphex twin thing where like, it's a drum beat, but it's not a drum beat. It's it's not it's not but cat popo cat or but cat popo cat dit cat get 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 it's it's not drum and bass it's but it's got all those language in there but they're doing something else with it so that that really kind of percussive rolling thing that that you know has a lot of feelings for me of North African percussion and and stuff you know it it's 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 a familiar flavor but a really interesting flavor and still you know like we say even though that's mid 90s it still sounds incredibly current to me um and and you know like orteca uh, uh, this this totally could have been islanders by orteca you know it, it, it there are quite a few tunes where there's just something rolling along that really excites me it's really melodic it's really memorable but it's not a drum beat and and i i found that challenge really exciting i mean to go back to the kind of joy division thing um to create you know so we spend so long learning as drummers how to make a backbeat feel good you know that it, it's in our bones and it's one of our first impulses to be like ah didn't got it got it and um and to 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 kind of subvert that a little bit obviously you know the um a kind of fat back beat or something like that pushes it a little bit um but or a, you know a um yeah some kind of uh James Brown thing but it, it but this yeah this is kind of a, an extreme what thing of that it, it almost has like a classical percussion thing going on as well you know there's just all sorts in there and, and it, it to have that as an influence in my drumming has been really valuable um because it just helps you find th things that maybe you know had i just stuck with kind of hard rock it, it maybe wouldn't have wouldn't have been part of my vocabulary and and you know that ties into chippendale and, and zach hill massively i think those guys have vocabulary that's totally outside rock drumming but they're using it in a rock way and and so apex just and 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 that's before you even talk about how beautiful a song it is and how sure. that weird balance of yearning and and and, and you're, you're it's trippy it's like what is that what is that child kind of moaning about or whatever you know they, like it's very odd um and the mood is flawless it's just perfect and and yeah i i could uh i could probably listen to it on loop sure <laughs> and mark mark i know i keep bringing up mark but mark was just talking about kind of addressing a big insecurity of mine which is hating certain instincts in my past when I'm riding with people and wishing that I could erase a five-year span on this recording date. Like, I wish I, for what we're doing right now, I wish I didn't have, wouldn't have listened to punk rock from 2001 to, you know, 2004. And he was saying how you got to use it, you know, use that mm -hmm. influence or else you're an incomplete player for who you are. And this is a great tie-in to what Gunnar Olsen, 
wanted to ask. Um, and well, I guess on Instagram, he DM'd me this, but on Instagram, he just said, how dare you for being so awesome? That was his first question. <laughs> Second one was, uh, I'm a fan of, of your, meaning Adam's playing, um, because it appears you come from an aggressive drumming background, which you have talked about. Mm. But what parallels do you find between rock drumming, a la your initial instincts, and playing drum and bass? How do yeah. you feel there's some parallels there? I really do. Yeah, there's tons. Um, I think drum and bass, for me, uh, it feels very similar to um, the feeling I get from Lightning Bolt um, or something like that. It's It's got a punk energy. And now the, the drum and bass has a huge spectrum. And, and you can go from that, like, chilled it's not even chilled it's still bustling it's still 170 beats a minute you know but that that kind of the light flowing thing of, of ronnie's size um but at the i still think it has a pretty metal energy you know it, it mm. it's a it, metal's not quite the right word because metal describes itself you know metal sounds like metal um mm. uh but it has a you know a kind of larry energy to it that i see is quite cohesive together um and i you know when when you when i play with goldie he is a punk goldie's a punk you know like goldie loves punk and he's got an amazingly broad taste in music and loves all like loads of stuff loads of stuff i mean god he can kind of dj in any style for hours and it is it's awesome but when we play his music together it's a hype energy that's that's that comes from punk to for me um because it's it's you know there's a pushiness to punk that maybe metal has but also you know it it doesn't have the kind of I, I'm trying to say this without sounding negative about metal because I'm not. I love metal, but it, but maybe there's not quite as serious a face in the drum and bass as there maybe is in metal. Um, you know, I I think like uh, oh, no, I can't I can't quite put it into words. But when you hear a fast Meshuggah tune, uh, you know you you get that same kind of pushy energy that I get from from um, a, a banging jungle tune. And yeah, so I so I definitely hear things there. And also, you're in metal. You're trying to get the whole audience to move on the pulse and headbang. And I think drum and bass, you're trying to do the same thing. And, and for me, it sounds sweaty. And, and actually, it, it was a really helpful way to play it. Because going back to that thing of like chatting with Square Pusher about how we were going to do the expression on this, the and, and, and Three Trap Tigers, this was a key thing in Three Trap Tigers, was, okay, we ain't Aphex Twin. We're never going to get that perfection of Flim of Vordhosen, of Come to Daddy. Um, that's just like, it, it's it's months in the studio processing and it's gridded flawlessly. Now, don't get me wrong, there are drummers that can do that and do it amazingly. You know, you hear you hear Zach Danziger, you hear D'Antoni do it, you're like, that's got everything I ever want. Um, yeah. 
I, Damn it. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have that. But what I did have was sweat. Lots and lots of sweat. <laughs> and it was like, well, this is actually something that Aphex and, well, Squarepusher especially would love in his live show. He wants it to rock out. He wants it to sweat. Um, so we just bought lots and lots of sweat. And, uh, and yeah, thing, you know, bits fall off the drum kit. Your sound, your mics fall off. Your splashes fall off. And uh, and your, your mixer falls apart. And the keyboard falls off the stand. And it's just you know but it has that kind of oh my god oh my god everything's gonna explode we're probably just gonna oh my god and then the gig finishes and that's that energy i feel is drum and bass and i feel is rock and then but obviously drum and bass is dance music so the you want a real element of rhythmic groove to it but, you know, when I saw those, uh, I mean, OK, the key guy for me when I was young doing live drum and bass drumming was those videos of KJ Sorker in his basement just playing like just on a phone cam and it was distorted to hell. And that man's that 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 was like, oh, God, it was one of the first things I think I ever got an influence from YouTube rather than music. You know, it was like, wow, this is just a guy in his basement. But that sounds mega. And um yeah, he, you know, he as as drum and bass gets better produced, you hear Pendulum. It's got a lot of metal in it. I'm not the world's biggest fan of that stuff, but I think that's where it's really clear. But you know, as you get to the more kind of jungle thing, it has a heaviness that's all of its own. But it, but it has a, you know, it is rocking. You know, when your ears are bleeding after an killer jungle set that someone's just played, you definitely feel like you've seen something pretty pretty blooming feral it's uh yeah it is amazing well you are a great host uh because you're segueing greatly to the next one <laughs> which is talking about backbeats or a lack thereof and then jungle uh let's go to give it up or turn it a loose by james brown mm. uh from the in the jungle groove record from 1986 <laughs> James, I mean, I know we're talking drums, but James Brown's voice is so, so diverse. He can do anything. God. It's so funky. It's painful. Like, yeah, just... Just hearing him say Clyde or hearing him say Bootsy and... and Oh, man. Yeah, it's... It's... Yeah, it's... So, again, you know, in that kind of honourable mention thing, this there's so many things this could be of Clyde Stubblefield. Um, Soul Pride, I guess, wouldn't have been an amazing one to, to tie into Square Pusher, but um, uh, it's uh, so yeah. Fun- <laughs> I haven't really said it, but funk was huge for me at like sixteen, seventeen, because um, I, I, as I was getting into, um, well, any bit of music I could hear, really, um, th- th- funk was like a bit of a, Herbie Hancock's funk albums were a bit of a gateway into jazz for me. Um, but it like those kind of blue groove um Jimmy Smith, Jimmy McGriff, um those kind of albums, 
were massive um, for me as a as a kid, and I used to play in quite a lot of like quite ropey funk bands around Bournemouth. And then when I got then as I left uni, I, I joined James Taylor Quartet, which is a, a British jazz funk band and you know it was great we got to just tour europe for kind of five years um non-stop and i learned a lot about um well a lot about everything really in that but i was still finding my way with how to make funk kick off um you know it's like it's the there's a lightness to it that's stunning but there's a there's a nuclear energy that's that's um, that's genius as well, and there's obviously rhythmic accuracy, but never cold. And and so all these things in this stew, like how do you make it swampy but precise? How do you make it pushing but not rushing? How do you make it energetic but not heavy and and just mm-hmm. this kind of weird fight on that for years just being like but you know it led so well from jtq into goldie that kind because of, obviously the the bits in james taylor quartet you know the, england has a fine tradition of, of, of taking incredible american music and then doing it like you want more of a fight and so you like you know um rolling stones or, or led zepp take the blues and then play it like they'd like a fight in the pub car park afterwards and uh, james taylor quartet was a was a very much um hammond organ played with two elbows and a foot and it it was the 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 tunes at about 140 150 were always the bits of the gig where i you know i was grinning like a like a, a maniac on stage and you just got sweatier and sweatier and you just kept pushing and pushing and we we had some gigs with incredible guitarists and and guys like um nigel price who's a phenomenal jazz guitarist in the uk just rinsing like and just trying to find the next gear up to go and james just trying to find more body parts to get on the organ and pulling out (laughs) stops that he didn't know were there and it was um you know it's it 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 didn't have the genius nuance of james brown it didn't have you know but but it had its very own expression that was when it was right it was so fun and the bass player is probably worth a shout andrew mckinney like ah uh, really steeped in the kind of james jameson um um and the kind of gerald jamont like digging in fat bootsy kind of eighth notes the odd 16th but not many and you know just really pushing it along like it was it was um yeah when it was euphoric and amazing it was it was really euphoric and uh yeah i i think that clyde clyde also clyde sounds that tune not so much but you know you hear funky drummer that that, that's uh, era defining and that's why i'd say also jabbo starks could well have been him you know in this spot it's like that high snare that that became and you know obviously amen brother like you know Mm -hmm. those those those, that sound that that kind of crack um i had an amazing experience a couple of years ago getting to record a load of funk tunes in the studio with um with uh robert seawright spot and that oh. there is a man that knows how to get all of those sounds in the studio and just play them and it was so joyous and and they did um they did think uh is it lynn collins think yeah and 
oh, you know, he, and he was on that one. And I was just standing in the control room and it was like, yeah, that's it. That's it. And, and just walked into the booth and I was like, all right, you sit down and you do that again, just while I'm standing in the room. And, and yeah, it's so, and, and he, that, that, you know, it's really interesting that kind of, um, the, the, the push, like rock has a heavy down, um, you know, like it's, it's fighting. And I, and I have, so I, when I teach in the uni, I teach out, like I, I've had some, uh, amazingly musical kind of gospel drummers come in and try and play Soundgarden and they just can't get it to sit back enough and I'm like ah oh, man it's just not no no it's 46 BPM but it's got to feel like 42 BPM you know it's got to and I and, and, and that that kind of heavy expression obviously growing up as a kind of metal feels quite fun for me and quite natural um, mm-hmm. but where those two kind of merge is so exciting and interesting and and spot was pretty inspiring to just listen to play that stuff and it just popping off it was amazing so yeah that's that's my that's my that's my uh clyde stubblefield thing i think it's um oh it could be bernard purdy it could be grady tate it could be idris mohammed it's just like uh there's that yeah, just 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 the the breakbeat, you know, just playing poof poof ka puka puka poof ka, and yeah, it, it's it's so cool. I think that description of of Stubblefield that that made sense to me so much was he was channeling the two and four from the clap and the syncopation from the tambourine in the church all through his drumming, and it, it's so cool. It was such a cool description of it. It was like. Oh, that's everything. Yeah, that is exactly what he's doing. And it, that skittering kind of backbeat syncopation that then obviously goes on to become drum and bass and all that stuff. It's yeah, it's magic. It's so powerful. Yeah, your your left hand, um, I can definitely tell that you have played a lot to those those guys, Jabbo, the Clydes, mm-hmm. you know. Lot of lot of control in that left hand. To, to totally trivialize everything you just said, I'll say, "Oh, left hand technique," uh, <laughs> like everyone says about those guys. But uh... <laughs> no, but it is. It's, it's the hardest thing in the world. Funky drummer is the hardest beat ever. It's so hard. Um, or even that one we just played. That boom, it's. Oh, it's rincingly hard, and to play it with like super even semiquavers that don't sound like you're worrying about how even they are. You're not playing them evenly <laughs> because because that's correct. You're playing them evenly because that gets people dancing, and I think that's so potent. It's like the evenness. As an animal, we're amazingly good at telling if something's really regular or not. And I think it's something to do with walking. We've got good at just even right, left, right, left for millions of years. And we're, we're very, very good at that. that. That's been like a survival thing. So we're good at going right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. And then the second it goes right, left, right, left, right. That, you know, an extreme one there. We we will go to the bar very quickly. And no one will be able to say why we've gone to the bar. But we'll be like, uh, do you fancy a pint? Yeah, let's go and get a beer. And you just leave the band. And, and you can shout at the audience saying, no, please stay and dance. But they're like, yeah, yeah. they don't want to be there. So that, that you have to, you know, that, that, in, that, that accuracy is so essential. But, I, but you should never... It should never be like, 
because it's the right answer. It should always be because it keeps people on the dance floor. And and I think it, it's you know Stubblefield just had that in spades. They you know they were they would have worried about um, consistency and fatness of sound and stuff like that. But they would have used it in really fun terms about you know the the, the funk of it rather than the kind of um, the the kind of just the word you know I don't know you know they would have talked about accuracy, but you know it would have been from a very kind of fun sweaty place. All right, so the last one, and I'm not familiar at all with this DJ. Um, it is uh, Remark. Remark. Is that how you pronounce Remark. it? Remark. Re- of course, yes. of course. <laughs> Remark. <laughs> so yeah. Remark, this one is Remark and Schwarzenegger, mm. and it's uh, the song is For Real. And yeah, I'll just play the clip right now. Yeah, great. <laughs> Learning that would be, uh, you know, uh, quite the effort. Yeah, yeah, it would. It, I feel it's one of those things. When I was at when I was at jazz college, they used to talk about um, like going in depth on solos and like learning a Wayne Shorter, you know, kind of later um, period Wayne Shorter solo to the point where the the lecturer can kind of fade it out and you keep playing it and then they fade it back in and you're kind of still in sync with it and they and they were like, you probably only need to do that with like six of those kind of late period things to really just come away with so much that the rest of your life is going to be. And I kind of feel that with, with some of this, that like Tom's stuff or something like that. Like if you can genuinely play it and fade it out and bring it back in, I'm not saying I could do that, but I'm saying, <laughs> but I think it, you know, it'd be one of those things where you'd kind of be set for the rest of your life. It's, it's genius. Um, yeah, I needed to have some, just some full on a then jungle, um, because it, yeah, it from from a super young age, uh, it, it maybe not jungle, but like my sister was, uh, you know, I was like kind of eleven, and my sister was going out raving and coming back with tapes of kind of weird raves, and and and, and this music just was from another planet, and um, I mean literally and in every sense, like it was so futuristic, it was so, um, but also it wasn't. It wasn't white Bournemouth, you know. I, I was I'm from small town England on the south coast, very kind of like monocultural and 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 um, you know this stuff. I mean, so remarks from Broccoli, southeast London, um, which is where I lived for like the last fifteen. 20 years and it's uh yeah maybe last 15 years um that kind of southeast london area and and it's you know it it's got it's obviously got the reggae in there it's got hip-hop in there but again you know so that 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 the thing i say about the brits kind of taking an american music and then doing it like it's a fight in the pub car park you know uh, goldie and those guys were into hip-hop and loved it and then came back to the uk and just sped it up a bit to get more of a a, a layer thing going with it and they create a different thing and then the the reggae bass line underneath it's it's so fun but remark is 
Um, when it comes to like proper amen chopping, Remark's one of the one of the kind of pioneers and one of the best. You know, it, it's just killer. And he he yeah, it, it I think that one is super funky because of the rap over the top. You've got the pulse from the rap and then the amen just underneath it. It's it's so wild. It, it's so killer. Um, and it, it could yeah, again, it could have been Fotec. It could have been Goldie. It could have been Saint Angel. You know, it, it could have been uh, so many other bits. Um, it could have been the Horn track by Egyptian Empire. It, it, it's just so many genius tunes, and it was like, okay, I've got to settle on something. So I, I went for that one because it, it just gives that Amen majesty. It's funky. It's intelligent. It's probably it's super out there but i it still makes me dance you know i i hear that and there are bits where it almost breaks too much for me and then it comes back in and you're like ah there it is again and um yeah it would just leave me on the dance floor for hours um and yeah it's uh i think you know you hear jojo mayer say it so beautifully when he's like um you know producers are at the forefront of drum beats, not drummers right now. You know, he said that he's got that kind of, it's quite a nice sound bite of like uh, the last groove that drummers invented was the blast beat or whatever that one was. I thought that was quite a natty little little quote. And I think it's quite true. And I think it's good to, you know, you've got to grab some inspiration from somewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, oh, there okay, there, there are so many genius drummers but it's also good to, well, for me personally, I love finding inspiration from stuff that's not drummers, um, and then seeing what that means to me on the drum kit. You know, it, it, it. I think you can kind of see that in my, in my choice of tunes, which has actually only got like two drummers <laughs> on it. Out of, out of well, no, you are. You're going down the rabbit hole or going in the direction I believe I talked about, which the show is becoming less and less. I, I, I thought it was going to be, oh, my favorite drum fill is at 222, which when drummers send that to me, that's so awesome. Mm, yeah, of course. Griffin Goldsmith last last uh, last week had an, an awesome one um, from, uh, I believe it's Little Milton. Anyways, <laughs> and, and I love that. But a lot of times it's just drummers are not inspired by drummers more often than not. And I and I love that perspective. Um, We're in a funny time where, okay, if I can if I can do a short soap horse uh, uh, soapbox like uh, high horse bit, it's like I my I struggle a little bit with some genres that sound like they're referencing themselves. So I, you know, partly I'm a man approaching forty, but metal when i was young felt like they weren't inspired by metal bands that sounded like them they sounded like they were inspired by bands that didn't sound like them so you know because it was all quite new um you know there'd never really been anything as heavy as pantera before they'd never really been anything as heavy as sepultura before but now i feel like metal is quite a codified language and it's like cool look if if if, if you want a metal album we know what we're gonna get we you know there's gonna be the, the chances are you're gonna get quite a bit of beat replacement quite a lot of like uh midi replaced drum sound it'll be there's a, still a ton of skill in it and there's a ton of like and some things come along and, and shock me and excite me i liturgy with greg fox 
blew my mind. You know, when I heard, um, yeah, when I heard Aesthetica, it was like, oh, it's living, it's breathing, it's it's alive, it's human, it's, and it, that was kind of a magical moment. Um, but and and it does and it does still exist. But but you know, I feel a bit like metal is being made by people that listen to a lot of metal and 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 that's you know that that's going somewhere and and that's a complete opinion and uh, as i've always said to all of my students every single thing i say as a rule someone will do exactly the opposite and do something amazing you know there, there's no rules in this and 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 um <laughs> the other quote that I'd say in it is one of my favourite studio owners in London, uh, Antonio, who owns Fish Factory. I went in and I, we were setting up the mics and I was like, Antonio, what about a microphone here? I've seen a few engineers do this. Uh, what do you think about this? And he just turned to me and he said, uh, all engineers, including myself, are fucking dickheads. <laughs> and it's, uh, so I, as I kind of give off my kind of forthright opinions about something, I know I, I'm an idiot. But it's, um, but it's, so anyway, so I, I think uh, I love like just finding something that's not, and, and you know, it, and it comes in tons of places. I, I had quite a deep dive into kind of Moroccan stuff. And then you try and, well, what does that sound like in a not- Moroccan music setting. What does it sound like on the drum kit in, in, within with a load of synths or something like that? Like that's that kind of still intrigues me and excites me. Um, so yeah, it's that. I think like you know the, the producers are so amazing, and I think we're kind of cool with it. With like Dilla, you know, we know that like Dilla's written drum parts that we all wish we could play, and it, and it's you know it's it's so beautiful, um, and it's just fun to keep looking at other places and 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 just see what there is. The the risky one that I keep having to watch myself is it's like are you are you bringing something of the drum kit to this or are you just trying to sound like that? And I and and this is something I have to kind of you know you'll I'll catch myself staring at myself in the mirror cleaning my teeth being like are you what are you doing here? Are you just trying to sound like this or are you, you know, are you filtering it in a cool way in the same way that we would be, you know, we'd be fine with saying, are you just trying to sound like Chad Smith or are you just absorbing some of Chad Smith and and, in, and infusing that in your playing? And I'm trying to feel like I'm doing that. And that's a really ongoing process. You know, you're never, you're never kind of like in a perfect place. I don't want to sound like a perfect Amen replica on the drum kit. If they, it, because you're just never going to be as good as Remark chopping up the amens on for real, you know. It, it's so it it and and it would be like, well, why why do that? You know, the, the I think the the accusation with the solo project of like, well, why don't you just get someone on stage with you is totally fair, and it's to, and so you've got to have a reason that 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 thing is like that, and it's the same with the drum and bass drumming. It's like, well, it's got to sound. It's got to have its own thing that means a producer didn't do it. And and that's a really cool thing. I mean, yeah, you hear Ian doing it and it's like, well, that's just badass. That sounds like a drummer. You hear Richard Spaven do it. It's like, ah, that that is that is a reason that exists as its own thing. Um, and that's beautiful. And then you hear me trying to copy it on a bad day and and it's like no this is just not as exciting as the production so like i say my first load of electronic tunes that they didn't make sense because i didn't know what i was doing and then when it came to life it suddenly had a reason to exist a bit more than just uh just me trying to sound like orteca or me trying to sound like apex twin it was uh but to go back to pr the producers thing is like 
I agree. A lot of my favorite drummers aren't drummers because they don't think ergonomically. They don't think like, well, my left hand does this because there's a, there's a certain part of my brain, especially when I'm drumming. But even if I'm doing like MIDI drums just to get an idea out, there's a part where my brain stops because you're like, well, my left hand can't do that at the same time as this thing. So I'm not even going to program it. I've gotten better at keep pushing through that. But people that don't know how to play drums, mm. the rhythms they come up with, you're like, damn it, that's so much cooler than I could ever think yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's because they don't have the limitations of having to play oh, it. Oh, man. I mean, grime has some of the best drum beats out there. And they're borderline unplayable because they're like, yeah, they're ultra quantized ultra like you know they're, they're they're programmed in fruity loops they're no, you know so it's it's there is no move outside of that 16th note they are just on it and they're hyper syncopated and um you know i uh yeah like getting the chance to play some of those with those guys was amazing uh, you know you 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 kind of just find um you know uh, yeah it's but I, you're so right it, it you do filter it through yourself and it you it you know the 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 thing of spending years working on music is that then your instinct instincts tend to be pretty trustworthy after a while and and you can really get into trouble fighting them and mark's totally right that yeah you do need to absorb those and and i've you know i there were times where i ran away from from well you know i you do it all the time i think that you know progress is a wobbly line hopefully generally going up you know and then um and it, you you run away from a bit for a while and then you come back to it you know there were for a long time i didn't want to play drum and bass on the drums because i just had a bad it had a bad smell it, it was like well it just sounds like drummers trying to play difficult drum beats and 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 then the Goldie gig came along and it was like, well, you better make this work and it better make people want to dance because otherwise you are you are up slack alley without a paddle. And uh, and it was, yeah, I, I really, you know, it was like, okay, this needs to dance, this needs to dance. Well, this is dance music. You need to make it dance. It needs to dance. How would Stubblefield play it? How would Stubblefield play it? How would Stubblefield play it? And, and that was at the heart of it. And... Yeah, it, it's it, it. We found something super fun, and the gigs totally went off. But yeah, you know, it's um, it, it's it, it it's it's a, such a tricky one, you know. And it, and it's beautiful to challenge yourself in that, and then then relax with it, and and just say. But then again, this is beautiful, and the the probably the fact that it makes me feel alive is a good enough instinct to go with it. You know, it, the fact that it excites me is is your is your body saying, yeah, that's probably the cool answer. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Oof. Well, um, dude, we, I'll, I'll let you go, man. I know it's late there. Um, but again, man, thank you so much. This has been a, it's been a blast. Wicked. Thank you, Ben. Really, really fun. And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.